Hey everyone, happy St. Patrick's Day 2021. Spoke with Dan Varner, the CEO of Goodwill Detroit. Phenomenal, phenomenal man and a wonderful friend of mine for years. He's had a really, really rough year, to put it lightly. He's been battling throat cancer, and yet through that entire experience, he was actually inspiring hundreds, if not thousands of us through his emails and through his updates. Just absolutely mind-boggling when you think about it. He talks about what it means to be a leader today and his two pieces of advice, one being to be authentic and the second to go first. He talks about what that means to go first in a way that I haven't heard before, and I think it's absolutely spot on and wonderful, wonderful advice for any leader or aspiring leader out there. He also talks about loving what you do and what that means, and we end with his two book recommendations that I think you'll find interesting. And he shares his thoughts on what really matters at the end of the day, which is love. Dan Varner, thank you so much for joining us on the Culture Eats Everything podcast today. It's so great to see you, my friend. Thank you. Good to be seen and great to see you as well. You know, we go, we go back a few years. Dan and I actually went to high school together, although he's, he's way older than I am. Um, and uh, just a great guy. You know, we were talking about integrity. And, you know, it's one of the words I think of when I think of you, frankly. Um, I know it's been a really pretty miserable year in many ways for you. Um, and yet, Goodwill, you know, your organization that you're the CEO for is Sounds like they're really growing and doing amazing things. And so I'd love to just start there and hear your thoughts on how's this last been this last year been for you? And, um, you know, what does integrity mean to you? Mm, thanks, Tom. Um, so for uh, folks who don't know, I was diagnosed with a form of throat cancer in October of 2019 and started um, radiation, chemotherapy and immunotherapy on Christmas Eve. 2019 through uh, the end of February of 2020 and had a really tough reaction to the treatment. The immunotherapy actually continued through May of 2020 and had a really tough reaction to the treatment. Um, Radiation to the head and neck is not easy to begin with. Uh, So lots of people I think go through lots of difficulty. Mine just happened to be a little worse than average. Uh, And I lost about a third of my body weight and really struggled for uh, really seven, eight months to eat. Um, and just last December really kind of had my Christmas miracle and broke through and finally got off of liquid shakes and whatnot, uh, entirely. So, um, happily on the road to recovery, but, uh, as you said, it was a really, really tough year, um, in a lot of different ways. Right. I mean, that one of the crazy things about the year was that I had to work from home, uh, given all of that, the second half of the year, once I came back, but, that really wasn't all that unusual because so many people are working from home. So there were, there were all sorts of silver linings kind of in that, in those storm clouds. That having been said, to your point, I, I, my last day of work was January 31st and I didn't go come back until the end of June. So it was really out for five months. And of course, during those five months, the pandemic broke here in the United States and the team had to make a huge pivot as all organizations did at that point in time. Uh, and I was out of pocket. I mean, I was completely unavailable uh, during that period of time. Um, one of the things that makes me just incredibly proud of the, of the organization that we 
um, continue to build a goodwill. It's been around 100 years. So I think, you know, can get, I can only take very little credit uh, for, for what's been done. But one of the great things with the organization pivoted so effectively and the executive team handled all that um, without me being there. Um, I think we all get theoretically that um, we're disposable and you know that the world will carry on without us and whatnot. And I got a first-hand glimpse of that. Uh, the team did a great job without me. Um, we talk at the organization, sort of your second point about, we have four core values. One is integrity. I'll just give you the two that are relevant to this conversation. The second is dignity and respect. And for us, integrity means two things. Uh, it means one, uh, that we'll be transparent, like honest. And the second really is more like probity, meaning uh, we will behave in ways that are consistent with what we say is important, right? So our word and our actions will align. Um, those two meanings combined with this value around dignity and respect that we'll treat all people uh, with dignity and with respect um, means that we will always shoot straight. Uh, and one of the things that, that the organization did while I was out was just absolutely shot straight with every employee at the organization about what was going on and decisions that were being made and the impact on all of them um, with trainees the same way. Um, uh, and it was I, just a fabulous manifestation of our values in action. It was beautiful to see, beautiful. Yeah, and you're, you're so humble and not taking any credit for it. And yet that was your team that stepped up to the plate, you know, in your, in your absence and delivered um, during your, you know, your hardest days. And I'll never forget, frankly, for my whole life, the, the emails that I was getting from you that you were sending out, I'm sure to, to hundreds of people about updates. And, you know, reading these, I, I left inspired uh, and yet knowing that you were absolutely and totally miserable, like there, I couldn't probably even comprehend a, a half of it. Um, and yet you found the time to, to share in such a way about your journey through this cancer that actually left me and I'm sure hundreds of other people uh, inspired. So I'm, I'm curious, what, what was behind that? How did you, how did you do that? Hmm. That's a great question. I suppose, well, a few things come to mind. Um, one is, and I've shared this with you, one of the things that got me through it in the toughest days, um, and like, so folks should know I ended up in the hospital for a week. I lost a third of my body weight. I was not a big guy to begin with. Uh, and I got down to 138 pounds uh, on a 5'11 frame. Like I was, you know, skin and bones. Um, uh, I was a former college athlete. So like that was not, you know, um, what I was used to at all. And, um, you know, really struggled with energy. Uh, just, I was in really, really bad shape for a while. And um, one of the things that got me through that were my friends. So family, friends um, rallied around me and, you know, we all have stories like that, but I, 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 I remember realizing at some point, and it's all, there are a lot of foggy days. <laughs> I don't have a great memory of about two or three months in there. I was on very heavy painkillers, morphine and that kind of thing, uh, multiple times a day. So um, my memory is not great, but uh, at some point I remember realizing that every day of the journey, a friend, 
somebody had reached out personally to me, phone call, text, email, you know, a handwritten note. Every day I had been contacted by somebody who loved me and who wanted me to know that they were cheering me on. Um, so part of it was like, I just wanna let all of you know how I'm doing, you know? Um, uh, you know, and then I'm, I'm fighting, like I'm, you know, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna do, I'm, I'll be all right. And um, uh, because you were showing me such amazing love uh, and that was so important. Like one of my big fears, I think going into it I wasn't able to articulate at the time, I think, but in hindsight, I realized was that you worry about the world moving on without you. Like you just kind of disappear. <clears throat> and you just worry that people will forget you and, you know, like everyone will just move on without you. And it was so heartening. It was so moving, inspiring really to have people like not forget me. You know what I mean? Um, uh, like evidence that they loved me enough to take some time out of their busy days to drop me a note or shoot me a text or make a, take a phone call or whatever it was. You know, and most of the time I didn't even answer the phone, right? But they would leave me like a beautiful voicemail that said, hey, I'm just thinking about you and praying for you and love you and, you know, hope it's going okay. Um, and so I wanted to reciprocate, you know, as much as I could. Of course, I wanted to keep people informed. You know, there's a third thing, and that was that um, the, the cancer I was diagnosed with is actually caused by a virus. Um, it's HPV related, which is a virus that almost all of us get in our teenage years. Um, and now kids are thankfully um, vaccinated against it. Um, and so for all the listeners, make sure your kids have had their HPV vaccines. Um, they typically are given uh, in their kind of preteen years. Um, and most of us fight the vaccine off just fine. There are a few of us who, uh, later on in life, there's some triggering event. Nobody seems to know what it is. And, uh, all of a sudden a tumor starts growing and for men, it tends to be in the neck and head. Um, and this is the fastest form of fastest growing form of cancer in the country. Uh, as it turns out, there's a bit of an epidemic, uh, with these HPV related, uh, cancers, um, striking middle-aged men and women. And so I just wanted to also provide information because um, I was completely unaware of it. Uh, but the minute I started talking about it, uh, people were like, oh my gosh, my neighbor, my, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, lots of people struggle uh, with this. And um, uh, I thought sharing, you know, some of my journey might be helpful. Mm. Well, you said that, um, you had a fear that the world would forget about you, you know, mm. which is, which is interesting to hear from a CEO of a mm. multi-million dollar organization with an impressive background, a, a lawyer, you know, we think of the CEOs, I think as a society, as these superheroes that um, are, are partially human. And yet here you are willing to be that open, you know, being that real about your own set of set of fears. And I think it's such a great lesson for all of us, especially an aspiring CEO out there that Dan Varner is just another human being like the rest of us. Absolutely. Yeah. My feet stink just like everybody else's. <laughs> yeah. And I, to your point, carry fears just like everybody else's. I literally had a call with a member of my executive team uh, earlier today 
where he shared to his credit, he's the CEO of one of our subsidiaries, uh, shared to his credit that he's worried about not looking bad. Um, he's worried about what people think, right? Um, and of course, like that cannot be the fundamental driver for you. Uh, if you're gonna lead effectively, you have to ultimately be willing to set that aside and sometimes not look good. Um, uh, and so we had a great conversation about, and he knows all that, but you know, he was willing to be vulnerable with me in this conversation and share that. So to your point, uh, you know, we are all, every one of us, 100% human. And that means, um, you know, all of us carry feelings and have fears and, um, are afraid, frankly, of being vulnerable, uh, of being missed. Um, I think we all want love. I think we all want to know that we're making a contribution. And um, absolutely, I was afraid uh, maybe that I wasn't loved or loved enough anyway for folks to like stay with me on the journey. Um, maybe that I wouldn't make it. Maybe that whatever contributions I had made were all the contributions I was going to make. Um, you know, and they're more than I want to make. So all of those things were, were fears, were real fears for me, for sure. Yeah, very human, very human time. <laughs> Just ask those nearest to you, right? Right, <laughs> they'll tell you, they will tell you, yeah. So given that, you know, um, you know the, the typical CEO conversations, the typical podcast would talk about, you know, give us your top four secrets to being a CEO. Mm -hmm. um, we're not going to do that. I want to hear like for those people out there that are wrestling with fear that they can't be a CEO, that they, they don't have what it takes to be a, a leader, maybe not even a CEO, but maybe a leader of their team or an executive someday. What would you, what advice would you give them? Hmm. Boy, there's lots of advice. Um, Fundamentally, I wish I could say like it all boils down to one sentence, but it's something like, uh, you know, it doesn't all boil down to one sentence. There are probably lots of different kind of domains where the advice would live. But, um, but if I had to give one piece of advice, I think it would be something along the lines of, um, of kind of a mix of being authentic and going first. Um, so the truth is that as the leader of an organization, there are, I'm gonna say this in a, it's gonna be kind of a crass way. There are only, you know, there are very few people, there are very few ways you can lose your job. You're not gonna get fired, right? By your direct reports. They can't fire you. <laughs> um, you can fire them right? Which is an incredible responsibility to carry. Um, they cannot fire you. And so to ask them to be vulnerable first, like doesn't make any sense. Um, you have the opportunity as the leader, like I have the opportunity as a leader to create the culture, right? To go first, um, which really is creating culture. It's creating uh, an expectation and a set of behaviors that are examples for others to follow. Um, and by being authentic first, being vulnerable first, like if whatever my fears are sharing those first, if I don't have the answer saying, I don't have the answer, I don't know first, um, asking questions first, just out of curiosity, whatever, to go first in your authentic self, like your 
best self, not your fearful self. Um, uh, meaning fearful self, meaning like, you know, you want to put an image out there, right? So that people think you're one thing. Um, no, 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 no. Like be your authentic self and go first. Um, and that goes a long way toward creating a culture that allows other people to lead effectively inside the organization as well. And ultimately, um, that's what you've got to create because you can't do everything, you know, from the CEO seat. You've got to have a team around you, as you know, uh, that excel and they've got to build teams around them that excel and so on. That's got to cascade throughout the entire organization. I love it. I love it. There's this, you know, vulnerability is sort of all the rage now, right? With Brene Brown and, mm. uh, and, and it's a good thing. Um, uh, and I like to think about it as, you know, it's not really about the vulnerability. It's, it's, I love how you put it. It's, it's being willing to see that fear and, and do it anyway, you know, yeah. to face the fear and be first. Um, yeah. uh, Cause that fear, at least in my experience, never goes away. What's, what's your experience? No, that's right. There's this great quote. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote it somewhere. I don't remember where, but it's something along the lines of, um, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear. Like courage comes from the experience of having faced the fear and realizing that the fear isn't that whatever it was you were afraid of isn't so bad because you, you went ahead and did it anyway. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's just about facing the fear and good, trying it anyway, right? Because the fear is all in your head. I mean, it's a, that's a, the only place it exists. You, can't li you literally can't point to it anywhere in the world, right? It, that's where it is. Um, so you just have to get out of your head and go for it, try it. Um, and as I said, there's really very, here's the thing, the ultimate irony, there's very little risk to doing so because they can't fire you, right? And there's huge upside gain because you begin to create a culture where people can speak their truth, like whatever that truth is, right? And, and we're talking in abstract terms right now, but this shows up in really practical ways when you're running an organization or you know, leading an organization or what have you. There are things that you've got to get done, projects that have to be completed. And you need people to be honest about the state of that project or what's not getting done or what's in the way or what they don't understand or whatever it is, right? And the only way you can create that is to be honest yourself about what's not getting done, where you're confused, what's in your way, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, you gotta start with reality. Um, yeah. And then you can make progress towards the future. I remember hearing from, I think it was Jim, uh, uh, good to great, uh, Collins. Collins. I think yeah. he talked about the Stockdale paradox and uh, this, this general in Vietnam yeah. who, his name was Stockdale and he literally the reason he survived, I think five or six years in, in POW, just horrendous, horrendous situation is that he was constantly looking at the current reality, the, the misery of the day and not pretending like it didn't exist, but he was also looking to the future and saying, right. but there's a better day ahead. He said that yeah. the people that, that didn't make it were either did one of those and not both. They were, they got overwhelmed by the current reality and the current situation and, and it just killed them or they were so hopeful that they would be getting out. You know, they would be rescued. Just another more, one more month, one more month, or next Christmas, or next Christmas. Right. And those are the folks that didn't make it. And yeah. it's not either or. It's how do you, how do you do both? Yeah, yeah. I, we haven't even talked about that that second part too. But you do have to have a compelling vision for the future, right? Like 
something that you're trying to grow toward. Remember when I was sick, you know, the, I, um, <laughs> literally had pictures and numbers up on, uh, I actually framed them at some point, uh, up next to the mirror in my bathroom, you know, 176 was the number because that was the weight that I was going to get back to. Um, uh, and so I could look at the mirror and I could see where I was at 138, right? Not pretty. And I could look at that number right to the side, 176. And that's what I'm going to get to. Like, you got to have both. You got to have both. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the, you know, what is the future? We're, this is St. Patrick's Day, 2021. Um, where's your, where's your green, Dan, by the way? Um, yeah, I got to fix I, that. My shirt is green for those folks who can't see us. It's, it doesn't quite look like it, but I promise it's green. Um, and he had on a green sweater right before we started that's right, filming. That's so, right. Yeah. Doing my, my Irish heritage proud. Um, so what's the future look like? What, what's the big, big goal for you as a, as a leader? Hmm. Well, there are a number of things at Goodwill. You know, so I'm going to actually take a step back from Goodwill in answering that question. I'll answer it for Goodwill too. But um, I have for a long time kind of organized my life around a professional goal, which is to make Detroit a great place to be a kid and raise a family. Um, I suspect you've heard me say that before once or twice. Um, uh, and that continues to be like my North star professionally. Um, I love the work that I do at Goodwill. It's a little less about kids directly and a little bit more about families that kids are growing up in, uh, through the work that we, we do at Goodwill. Um, uh, but that North star continues to, to be relevant for me, um, and speak to me resonates for me. So not that it can't change, but um, that continues to be what I'm up to. Uh, and while we've made great strides in Detroit, like we really are a city that's coming back, um, there's more to be done uh, to make sure that that um, that rising tide does lift all boats. So that continues to be my uh, kind of organizing principle professionally. I am, uh, as I think you know, about to get married. Uh, and so that's a huge and wonderful step for me personally. Uh, and I am committed this also kind of coming out of, not that I wasn't before, but coming off of this journey, um, truly committed to being the best father and best husband that I can possibly be. Uh, and then for goodwill, um, a number of things, the big thing, the biggest thing, maybe two biggest things that we have going on are, um, uh, we have been on a journey to um, improve the performance of our social enterprises. Goodwill really is the original social enterprise. We run these businesses and we like to generate margin through the businesses and use those businesses to provide um, job training and workforce development opportunities for folks, both short-term and long-term. And so we've been uh, growing them and strengthening them and improving the performance of them. That's all very abstract, but our stores are now profitable. We have added a higher level of mission integration. So we've got a number of folks living with intellectual and developmental disabilities now working in warehouse positions, for example, um, uh, in our uh, store operation. Um, Goodwill's Greenworks, which is a subsidiary that does industrial recycling and asset recovery, really is the number one workplace in the city for returning citizens. So folks who have been justice involved, um, trying to get their lives on track, need somebody to vouch for them, need some work experience on their resume. Uh, Greenworks is the place to go. I'm so proud of the work that we've done there. We've launched an employee development center to actually help folks with literacy and math skills and 
um, some of the educational uh, remediation that's necessary. Um, and then Goodwill Integrated Solutions, which is our big assembly and kitting business. More work to be done there on the financial turnaround, but um, continue to see really strong improvements in the diversification. We're trying to not exit automotive at all, but to diversify and add some other industries that we're, we're uh, active in. And then the big thing for us from a mission perspective is to do more occupational training. We really, we've been wonderful at the wraparound services um, uh, and kind of meeting all of the non-occupation specific needs that people have that keep them from getting jobs or retaining jobs. But we also wanna train them in the actual occupational skills they need to be a carpenter or a plumber or electrician or a welder or whatever it happens to be. So uh, we are pushing towards some, some exciting new partnerships in that domain and uh, hoping that we can actually train the next generation of skilled trades, skilled tradesmen and skilled tradeswomen uh, in the city and in the region. Well, it's really too bad that you're not terribly passionate about this stuff, Dan. You know? <laughs> I love what I'm doing, I have to say. And that's maybe that's the other piece of advice for young, like aspiring leaders. Do what you love. Do what you love, right? Um, uh, it's got to get you up in the morning jazzed. Uh, and if it's not, if it's a drain, if at the end of the day, you don't want any, anything more to do with it, then it's not the right thing. Not the right thing for you. I remember that advice when we were young, right? And it seemed pretty trite and kind of BS, frankly, um, as a as a young kid. Um, but it's it's just true, right? It's why it keeps getting repeated over the ages. And uh, I think there's some confusion out there around what that what that really means. Um, what would you what 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 additional insight would you provide here around do what you love um, so that people can actually make sense of it? One thing for sure I want to get out, because you and I are both examples of this. Um, uh, you know, you're an engineer by training. Um, I'm an attorney by training. Like neither one of us is in engineering or in law uh, at this stage of our career. Um, and so what I want to say is like you, you, you figure this out by experimenting, right? By trying things. Um, and you can't be afraid of acknowledging kind of when you don't love something. Um, I think is kind of an important, I, have a, I had a professor in college who said that, you know, most people spend their whole lives trying to figure out what they want to do. Um, uh, and he was, you know, his whole point was that he was really fortunate because he figured it out early. And so he was able to make a career out of teaching English for decades. Um, and he loved what he did. And you could tell, best professor I've ever had, you could tell he loved what he did. Um, so one is um, kind of, you, you can't be afraid of other people's expectations. Like you make an investment in something, you've got a degree, you've got to trust that you're going to be able to translate that degree into some other field. Like don't feel, don't get stuck. I think like, because if you're stuck, you have made yourself stuck. Like you are free to go, go, like try the next thing, whatever that is one. Um, and the second thing I would say really quickly is uh, you gotta get coaching along the way. Like this isn't, it's not a, um, you know, do what you love can sometimes show up for people as like a, you know, be free, like, you know, no, like you've got real responsibilities. You know, you're married, you got kids, you got a mortgage payment, whatever it is, like you gotta live up. You have to keep your word around those things. Um, and 
in order then to make these transitions, you really do, I think, benefit. I benefited quite a bit from seeking out the counsel of others. Like, so, hey, you made that transition. How did you do it? Like, just walk me through it, right? Help me understand some of the processes that I need to go through in order to get where you got. Hmm. This, uh, this, this, this is funny because it's like, uh, it's like a little paid commercial for what Brad and I do, right? Because Dan, Dan just dropped this little brought to you by Phoenix Performance Partners who provide <laughs> coaching for executives. Yes, yes. <laughs> and by the way, like I am a huge believer, as you know, in coaching, right? And quick, quick, I actually will put a plug in for Phoenix Performance Partners. <laughs> Tom knows this. I have avoided multiracial conversations about racial equity for a decade um, and have long felt like you know, they're done frequently, very poorly, and leave white folk freshly defensive and people of color freshly hurt. And I am uh, pleased to report that I finally got over myself and jumped in again, um, largely because I trust Brad and Tom uh, at Phoenix Performance Partners. And so I'm going through one that they are leading currently, and I'm having a great experience. So coaching matters, and good coaching is great. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Dan. Yeah. Um, and and you're part of our our uh, our interchange program, which is our sort of CEO gathering of folks from across the country, different industries, very very intentionally industry diverse um, to bring CEOs, school superintendents together to to talk about some of these big issues. You know, a chance mm-hmm. to talk about working on the business versus working in the business, which you know we don't often give ourselves the the space for. And so um, I will, I will, uh, I will encourage folks who are listening. If you're not in a group like that, you know, if you're not in some peer group where you can learn from people who are in a similar position or maybe even a similar industry, uh, go do that immediately because that will, that will pay off um, for, for a lifetime, frankly, That's it's, right. an, it's an investment in your future. That's right. So we got a few more minutes left and I always like to, you know, ask folks for a, a, a book recommendation um, or, or books if you if you have them. Um, so maybe we could we could throw that in the mix, and then we'll maybe wrap up with a, a question or two more. Hmm. Boy, uh, I'm gonna go with you. You told me that this was gonna be one of the questions. I, I now remember that, and I was like, I didn't do my homework, and like I should have gone through my reading list and really found the one that I really want to share. So I will, so uh, well, I'm going to give you two, two really quickly. One is something called, please understand me too. Now, let me be, this is by David Kiersey, K-E-I-R-S-E-Y. Uh, Kiersey did his own work with Myers-Briggs temperament indicator. And I just found his work to be compelling and intuitive enough that I've been able to use it. It really opened up a whole new window into managing my team. Like I'm careful not to put people in a box and put the lid on the box, but it's lovely to have a framework that helps me quickly understand where their strengths might be and where their weaknesses might be based on some general principles. Um, And so Kiersey's work was definitely um, transformative for me. And then the second one uh, from a work perspective uh, that I read recently is a book called The Effective Executive. by Peter Drucker, who is you know one of the management gurus. Um, it is old, uh, it was written in the 60s. I think it's probably offensive. Uh, he talks about work as though men are the only people who do work. Um, but uh, he also talks about um, 
how to effectively manage yourself. The book really is about how to manage yourself effectively. And of course, if you can't manage yourself effectively, you have no chance of leading and managing others effectively. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful read. Um, yeah, it's a good book. I love it. Both, both phenomenal suggestions and, and especially, well, not especially, the, the first one I think is so valuable because as leaders, you know, I got my MBA um, at Notre Dame and it was great, but I didn't really learn a lot about leadership, frankly, as much as I would have liked. I, I didn't learn how to be a CEO, you know, when I was 34, I had to figure that one out and it took me a while. <clears throat> I'm still, still working on it, frankly. Um, but one of the things that's missing, I think, is that, you know, a car mechanic knows how an engine works, right? You wouldn't let him work on your car if he's never worked on an engine. Um, and yet we let leaders all the time become leaders without knowing how the human, how humans work, you know, with how the human mind works, with how we're, how we're motivated, how we're inspired, how, how we, we think and function. And so a, a tool like that, like Myers-Briggs or DISC, or, you know, there's, there's a thousand of them out there. We have our own inside coaching system, which we think is, is phenomenal, but there, there's lots of good stuff out there that helps you to understand how do I lead this, this person or this group of people, because as a leader, we don't get to be stuck. We don't get to have a one size fits all approach. That's just, that's not leadership. Um, right. So, um, all right. So let's see, we'll make a fun question here at the end, Dan, just all a right. nice light one for you. You know, this podcast could be around for generations, right? Uh, <laughs> no pressure. So what, what, uh, what would you like to say to your, your great grandkids, great grandkids? Wow. Oh, something like love wins, you know, at the end of it all, uh, love wins. Yeah. There's so many like additions that I could make to that, but, um, it's just a wonderful guide for life. Like love wins. So um, love and be loved, like allow yourself to be loved and love others. Like just love people like unabashedly, right? Just love them, love them. Um, and the rest takes care of itself. Yeah. Love wins. Make sure to love yourself first. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a great final note, my friend. I love you and thank you for the time. Thank you, Tom. Love you too, man. Thanks. This was great. Loved being here. Mm -hmm.